It begins today. Here at Liberty University on this 10th day of September in the year of our Lord 2008 is a day that we must together ignite a movement that will stretch across the land to every town, to every city, to every farm, to every ranch. We must renew the fight to preserve those inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Rights not given to us by government, but rights bestowed upon us by God that inspired the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of this great nation. There are those who want to take away the very freedoms we hold so dear. There are those who seek to infringe upon the exercise of our religious freedoms. There are those who belittle and disrespect the sanctity of life. There are those who seek to wrest from our hands the arms that we are rightfully can bear. There are those who seek to impose taxes that stifle our economic prosperity. And, and, there are those who continue to assault our private property rights by seizing our homes and businesses for the sake of generating tax revenues and by strangling us with burdensome government regulations. These people, these people are government pirates. Chancellor Falwell, Vice Chancellor Godwin, Dr. Towns, Dean Staver, Pastor Falwell, Pastor Moore, distinguished members of the faculty and administration, students and future leaders of America, and friends in our broadcast audience. I bring to you greetings from thousands of our fellow Americans across the country whose constitutional rights are being denied and whose stories I tell you today. I also bring to you a message, in fact it's a wake-up call, about what I believe to be one of the most defining issues facing families in the decades to come. June 23, 2005 was a very dark day in our nation's history. It was the day four men and one woman dressed in black robes and sitting in a marble temple in Washington handed the government another weapon to continue its assault on our private property rights. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to four in the Suzette Kilo versus New London, Connecticut Supreme Court decision, a case that the city could transfer, transfer its powers of eminent domain, which is the government's authority to purchase private property for a public use. This transfer would enable a private developer to seize homes and businesses to make way for a luxury hotel and condos. A dangerous legal precedent was set, and a nation was outraged. Now, 
As Chancellor Falwell said, I am a developer, as my father before me. And one would think that such a, such a ruling I would be in favor of. I do not. Over the course of my 25-year career, I have seen at first hand the reckless and irresponsibility of government officials throughout the nation. I was outraged by the High Court's decision. Actually, it was a disastrous decision. To give politicians and bureaucrats the power to seize property for the sake of increasing tax revenues is unconscionable. That is not to say that the exercise of the power of eminent domain by government cannot be a valuable tool to benefit the public. This authority is necessary to acquire property for our nation's highways, government offices, dams, and other public purpose projects. In fact, Suzette Kilo, in the Kilo versus New London decision, who poured her life savings into fixing up a cottage that was later seized by developers. Even she said that she would willingly sell her property for a public purpose. But her example, unfortunately, and that of thousands of others across the country, clearly shows how this authority in the wrong hands has become a wrecking ball to the American dream. And the most frightening aspect of the Kelo decision, however, is that this could happen to any of us. How in the land of the home and the brave, how in America can this happen? Doesn't the Constitution protect property? There are 12 simple words in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You don't have to be a constitutional attorney or scholar to understand those words and un to understand that our founding fathers, what they meant. If the government takes your property for a public use, they must compensate you market value, period. In the Kelo case, however, homes and businesses were seized not for public use, but for private development. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, in a dissenting opinion in the Kelo case, said, I quote, the specter of condemnation hangs over all property. Nothing is to prevent the state from replacing any Motel 6 with a Ritz-Carlton, any home with a shopping center, and any farm with a factory. What the Kelo ruling and other Supreme Court decisions over the years have demonstrated is, is that the root, the very root of the problem, not only of eminent domain issues, but the root of the problem from issues that we see about us all today, is that there's unelected, unaccountable Supreme Court and federal judges who are appointed for life and who legislate from the bench. They and they alone have become the final arbiters of what is or is not constitutional. Although nowhere, nowhere in the Constitution does it give them this authority. The Kelo case opened the floodgates for more eminent domain abuse throughout the country. Communities across the 
America were immediately ravaged by this disastrous decision. One of the most egregious examples that are cited in my book, Government Pirates, is the city of Riviera Beach, Florida, moved one step closer to displacing 6,000 local residents in order to build a $2.5 billion private waterfront yachting and housing complex. City officials in Freeport, Texas, for example, began legal proceedings to seize two seafood companies to make way for an $8 million private boating marina. Now, how does this happen in America? This should not happen in America. So within weeks of the Kelo ruling, several public opinion polls showed that between 90 and 95 percent of Americans strenuously agreed, disagreed with this decision. In fact, the data showed that people cared more about eminent domain abuse than the state's right to die laws and also even for parental notification for abortion. And you would think that with that sort of overwhelming public outrage that our Congress would, do, would act. They did, but they did not do what we hoped. The House of Representatives passed a bill of 30, 378 to 38 margin to restrict federal funding to cities that utilized eminent domain to benefit private developers. Despite that overwhelming bipartisan support, the Senate did not even allow the measure to reach the floor for a vote. Maybe, just maybe, those 50 senators would sing a different tune if it was their hand, their land, their property that would be threatened by eminent domain, by greedy cities who simply want to generate more tax revenues. We are led to believe that the seizing of private property for these redevelopment schemes is for the greater good of the community. We are told that these developments will create more jobs, generate more tax revenues, that will increase public services to better our lives. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they never meet their lofty expectations. In fact, many of those cases, after homes and businesses are seized, the projects never even break ground. In fact, in New London, Connecticut, for example, there was an open field and barren, open and barren field where Suzette Kilo's home stood, as well as the homes and other businesses that her neighbors were, that had taken from the local government. The developer, in fact, backed out of the venture, and reportedly, the city has spent $78 million and has absolutely nothing to show for it. And who ends up paying the tab? We, the taxpayers. But eminent domain abuse is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the government's assault on our private property rights. Through local or zoning ordinances intended to provide orderly growth, through clean water and wetlands regulations intended to protect our water resources, and through the Endangered Species Act, intended to protect animal and plant species from extinction. 
The government, in many cases, either seizes or renders property unusable and does not even compensate property owners when they do this taking. It is commonplace for the government actually to extort, yes, extort, land and money in return for approvals. These government exactions are not just happening to developers and large corporations, but ordinary Americans, homeowners, small business owners, farmers and ranchers. And unfortunately, it has reached academic, epidemic proportions. Now, no one of reasonable mind would argue that growth must be reasonably controlled. We don't want to have a steel mill built next to a kindergarten. We don't want to see uh, certain violators of our waterways who contaminate. We want to make sure that they are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And we want to do everything we can to balance economic development and protect animal and plant species from extinction. Unfortunately, corrupt politicians, entrenched bureaucrats, liberal judges, not-in-my-backyard advocates, and environmental extremists are either working alone or together, are trampling on our Constitution and promoting an anti-capitalistic and, yes, an un-American agenda. There is a renewed environmental ethic today with focus on preserving our vital resources and our natural heritage for generations to come. Without question, this preservation is important, but we must be mindful that there are those who do not believe environmental protection should be balanced with economic prosperity and the protection of private property rights. In my view, this is a form of environmental terrorism. I believe that there is a way to achieve balance, like our former President Theodore Roosevelt, who founded our national park system at the dawn of the 20th century. I prefer to use the term conservationist. I believe that there is no better definition for conservationism than one I found in a document entitled the Declaration of Values, written by Liberty Council, as you know, a legal foundation that for years has been fighting tirelessly to advancing freedom of religion, sanctity of life, and traditional family values. One of the declarations reads, I quote, to secure the right to own, possess, and manage private property without arbitrary interference from government while acknowledging the necessity of maintaining a proper and balanced care and stewardship of the environment and natural resources for the health and safety of our families. Now permit me to tell you some of these real-life stories that I've heard throughout the country as I research this book and as I continue to do interviews throughout this great land. I haven't, in fact, looked into the eyes of homeowners, small business owners, ranchers, and farmers, and I have actually seen the pain and frustration as their lives have been ravaged by the government and its extremist allies. I have listened to stories of how families have been torn apart, how they have been forced into bankruptcy, how they, with the uncertainty and stress 
contributed to sickness, and even in death. One of these stories is set in Florida. Two brothers who were successful restaurant owners in Pompano Beach, Florida, fought the city in court for 31 years because a planned hotel where their restaurant stood would block the views of some influential condo owners who owned property across the street. The city actually yanked the building permit three times and forced these brothers into bankruptcy. The city then bought the property at auction and turned it into a park. Pompano Beach spent around $6 million of taxpayers' money to destroy a family business and create a park, all so that they could protect the precious ocean views of a privileged few. A father and son, local opponents of federal wetlands regulations, were sentenced to 21 months in prison and six months probation for cleaning out a ditch on their property that was infested with mosquitoes and snakes and for spreading sand around on their waterfront lot in Florida. This is a classic example of how the government officials punishing a single property owner can set an example for others. And there's many examples in my book of this happening. But one of the most outrageous stories in my book, Government Pirates, is set in the city of Colton in Southern California. The city which badly needed additional medical facilities and, and, an, and an economic boost was chosen as a site for a nearly half a billion dollar regional medical center. But a few days before the groundbreaking of this center, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declared that there was an endangered species on the, project, on the property and halted the project in its tracks. That endangered species, believe it or not, was called the Delhi Sands Flower-Loving Fly. Yes, a fly. At one point, the agency even demanded the traffic on Interstate 10, an eight-lane cross-country freeway, as we all know. They wanted to actually divert traffic off the freeway and shut it down during the months of August and September because that was the breeding habit season for this fly. Now, you think that that is ridiculous? The hospital was eventually able to go forward with this project, but because of design changes and project delays, the cost of the project increased by $25 million, all because of a few colonies of flies. And my friends, this happens every day throughout America. And <laughs> regrettably, these are not isolated incidents. Stories like these are unfolding every day. Many of the people I interviewed for the book and have posted their stories on the Tell Us Your Story feature on my website, governmentpirates.com, never imagined that their property would be under siege by the government and that their lives would be turned upside down. That happens to other people, they thought. 
But guess what? It happened to them. As Chancellor Falwell said, Liberty University has been forced to overcome several bureaucratic obstacles over the past 38 years. It has expanded its facilities to become the largest Christian college in the world. And those challenges continue. A prime example of this is the planned expansion of the small lake at Camp Hideaway. Chancellor Falswell's vision is to expand the university's resident population from 11,500 to 25,000 in the next 10 to 12 years. To accommodate this growth and to offer amenities similar to those of other universities throughout the country, the lake expansion makes perfect sense, especially because the nearest lake for recreational activity is about an hour away. As with many other campus facilities like the Ice Center, the paintball complex, and the future ski area, the new lake would be open to the public. This proposed project would include replacing an existing dam at a construction cost estimated to be several million dollars. The existing dam, over 50 years old, is vulnerable and if it failed, would wash out a state-maintained road, cause catastrophic damage to downstream property, and could even cause loss of life. But several obstacles stand in the way, however, of this project becoming a reality. The Virginia Department of Environmental Quality and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers have regulatory to, to discretion to approve or deny this project. If, and that's a, a big if, if the university receives approval, there are some onerous water quality guidelines that they must follow. The university would be required to pay what is known as a mitigation fee, a penalty for development. Because the course, the running water, the feeder streams of this area would be inundated by the lake level, the new lake level. This fee needs to be paid to an environmental group. That's their demand. And the fee amounts to 16.5 million dollars for the permission to expand a lake on university-owned property. How ridiculous is that? During my book tour, a few questions keep popping up. How can I, as a homeowner, a small business owner, a rancher, a farmer, how can I fight government abuse? What can I do to stop this assault on private property rights? And I keep on answering these questions over and over again. You must stay informed and you must be vigilant. You must communicate your position and your concerns. You must band together with others. More importantly, you must register to vote and use that vote as a weapon to send a clear and resounding message to politicians that if they don't keep our hands off of our property, 
that they will be voted out of office. That's what we must do. And you have an election before you where you have that opportunity to do that. So I urge you to take advantage of that opportunity, that God-given right for every American. The book of Micah, chapter 2, verse 1, says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot in their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. It is up to us here in this audience today and in the broadcast audience and throughout America to take that power from those people who are assaulting our rights throughout the country. I want you to understand one very important thing, however. The issue of protecting private property rights should transcend politics. There's no question about that. It is not solely a conservative, libertarian, or liberal issue. It's not a Republican, it's not an independent, and it's not a Democrat issue. It is an issue that strikes at the very heart of the freedoms that we as Americans hold so dear. In the main entrance on this beautiful campus of Damas Hall, there is a scripture verse that reads, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It is therefore only fitting that the birth of a new property rights movement begins right here at Liberty University, a movement that must stretch a movement that must stretch across our great land to every town, to every city, to every ranch, to every farm, to renew the fight to preserve those inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those rights not given to us by government, but rights bestowed upon us by God. We, the people endowed by our Creator with these rights, must in Christian tradition vow to protect our property and the property of our neighbors from these government pirates. Let us begin. Thank you.